Welcome, everyone, to a Tuesday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I am your host, Tyler Crawley, and we actually have a good amount of info to get to. That's not always the case. Sometimes Mondays are really just uneventful, and I am stretching to find something to talk about. That is not the case, so we got a lot to get to, but first... We got to start by talking about something that I probably am nowhere near qualified to talk about. So it's going to be brief. And that's what's happening with the stock market, which is real estate oriented, but it's not our real estate. It's China's real estate. And this big company in China, is it Evergrande? Evergrande? I actually don't know if I've actually remember hearing anyone say it out loud. I just keep reading about it. Uh, It's a big real estate company in China, which let's just say overextended itself a lot, <laughs> like overextended, overextended, overextended itself. And so now it's having massive problems. And the reality is I don't really know where the bottom is on this. I mean, could, is was yesterday the bottom? Is today the bottom? Is Are we nowhere near the bottom? Have we already reached it? I have no idea. And I'm not going to pretend that I do. So if you're looking for information on what what's happening in China and how that's impacting us, I can't give you that information. I'm going to be honest with you, but that was a big story yesterday that is important to know. I just don't know enough about it to talk about it in a way that's going to be of any help to you. I can guess, but that's not helpful. I'm not going to do that. So if you're looking for info on what's happening in China, I am not your guy for that information, but I am your guy if you want to know what happened with the home builder confidence yesterday. Some good news after a down summer. Yes, home builder confidence was down in June, July, and August, but in September, it jumped back up one point. I'll take it. Positive, always good. Yes, the home builder confidence jumped up one point in September to 76. Now, builder confidence is down seven points when compared to the same time last year. But if you remember, I think we reached our peak in December at 90. We're at 76 right now. But remember, anything above 50 is positive. So we're still doing pretty good, even though that's the problem when you hit a high is everything after that is not going to be the high anymore. (laughs) That's kind of where we are. Regionally, all four regions of the United States were down when looking at the three-month moving average. The Northeast fell two points to 72. The South and the West both dropped two points to 80 and 83, respectively. And the Midwest remained unchanged at 68. The National Association of Home Builders Chairman Chuck Falk said things are stabilizing even as prices and delivery times remain volatile. He said in a statement, quote, the September data shows stability as some building material cost challenges ease, particularly for softwood lumber. However, delivery times remain extended and the chronic construction labor shortage is expected to persist as the overall labor labor market recovers. So we are seeing some good news with regards to lumber and that lumber prices have dropped off dramatically since they're high, but we are facing some issues with labor like every other industry and supply chain issues. Still a big problem all over the place, including home building, but we're still in positive territory at 76 and we did see a slight move upward. So I will take that as good news. Now, there are other Index gauges that are important, for example, looking at current sales conditions, that rose one point to 82. The component measuring traffic or or traffic of 
prospective buyers, not or traffic of prospective buyers posted a two point gain to 61 and the gauge charting sales expectations in the next six months held steady at 81. So even though, like I said, labor issues, supply issues, still positive. That is good news. No doubt about that. Now, speaking of good news. I don't know if you've noticed this, but over the last couple of years, there's been a lot of articles about the death of the suburbs because we've seen a lot of urban revival stories, a lot of places, cities that were looked at as being maybe forgotten were bouncing back. And we were just seeing a lot of just a lot of topics and a lot of articles highlighting the fact that this sort of urban revival was taking place uh, all over the country. And there was a lot of articles that were talking about how the suburbs now were where the cities used to be. Infrastructure was collapsing, tax bases were shrinking, and it just was not a good place to be. And I can say this is good news for the most part. I think a lot of people want to see our suburbs doing well. Ben Kesslin over at NBC News writes about the growth of the suburbs over the last 10 years. And I can say pretty confidently that the death of the suburbs has been greatly exaggerated. Uh, Kesslin writes, as the country's biggest cities grow and become increasingly unaffordable, their suburbs have ballooned, taking on their own identities. I mean, that's one of the always kind of cyclical patterns of whenever you're talking about the revival of cities, towns, suburbs, whatever it may be, is that eventually you get to a point where people are priced out. And then they have to go somewhere else. And so, yes, it is true. Cities have seen a rebirth. A lot of people have moved back into cities. But what that's done is jacked up real estate prices. And so people have to go somewhere. And so they're going to the suburbs. Now, when we're talking growth, we are talking explosive growth. In fact, 10 of the fastest growing cities grew by at least 44% in the fastest growing one. Buckeye, Arizona, a western suburb of Phoenix, was up nearly 80% this decade. And where is all of this happening for the most part? Well, the West and South. Mark Perry, a senior demographer at the U.S. Census Bureau, said in an email that, quote, for the past several decades, the general trend has been for the fastest growing cities of 50,000 populations to be located on the outskirts of generally fast growing metro areas in the South and West. Now, this rapid growth is great for land values and the tax base, but It's not all good news. It never is. There's always kind of a balance. Infrastructure, unfortunately, takes longer to build than many of these communities, which can be a big problem. For example, in Marion, Iowa, they just built a high school that will serve more than 1,000 students, but the school was finished and ready to open this fall before the completion of a road expansion that was required by the county highway district to handle that influx of cars. And that's always going to be the case. I know I can make a joke about, well, the government always works slower in the private sector, but it's also true that, you know, building roads and laying this infrastructure that's necessary is just going to take longer. I mean, just by its very nature. And so it's not to say like, oh, look how horrible government is. But yeah, it does take longer to build that infrastructure for these communities that are popping up. Now, interestingly enough, it's not just suburbs that are benefiting from people who are seeking the relief 
from rising home prices in major cities. There could also, and this is potential, we'll see, be a big benefit for dilapidated cities in the Rust Belt. The Wall Street Journal reports that Rust Belt cities are attempting to give away homes to attract people for their cities. And it's a pretty fascinating piece. And of course, this, along with everything else that we're talking about, is in my companion morning newsletter, Markets and Mortgages. You can sign up for that at, you guessed it, marketsandmortgages.com. But the Wall Street Journal piece points out that you have a lot of cities who have been decimated uh, by manufacturing jobs that left a long time ago. People are leaving these cities and these homes are have fallen into disrepair. And there are people that own these homes and they can't afford to keep them up and they owe these huge tax bills on them. And so what a lot of these towns are saying is, you know, listen, if you want to come in and buy these homes and take them off the hands of their owners and you promise to fix them up and put X amount of money into them, we will give you these homes. We will let them transfer them to you and wipe out the tax bill as long as you promise to fix up the homes and do the proper maintenance and everything else to help revitalize the town. And it's it's an experiment. We'll see if it works. But these some of these areas could also benefit from people needing somewhere to live and they can't live in these big cities and maybe even the suburbs might be getting too expensive. And so what about these towns that have a lot of affordable housing. And I mean affordable housing. We're talking, I think, some of these places, you're looking at the average house at $80,000, which nowadays, what's the average home in the West? 500000 80000 I would say that's pretty affordable. So we'll see. We'll see if the experiment works. You never know. And some more good news. We have great, three great stories, all good news, on this Tuesday broadcast. I don't know, is it a broadcast? Pod, can, you say pod, can you say broadcast? I don't even know. I'm going to go with it. Broadcast, podcasts, whatever it may be. We're ending the whatever cast with good news. Total loans in forbearance continues to decline. That according to the latest Mortgage Bankers Association weekly survey. The latest survey the for the week ending September the 12th finds that now total number of loans in forbearance has decreased eight basis points to 3%. Mortgage Bankers Association is now estimating that 1.5 million homeowners are now in forbearance plans. Just to give you an idea of how amazing the exodus from forbearance has been a year ago at this time, 6.93% was a total number of loans in forbearance an estimated 3.5 million homeowners. So in a year, 2 million people have left these forbearance plans Uh, by stage. 11.3% are in the initial stage 80% are in extension and 8.5% are re-entries. Mike Frantantoni, the Mortgage Bankers Association Senior Vice President and Chief Economist, said in a statement that exits are accelerating, saying, quote, at this point, borrowers in forbearance extensions are exiting at a faster rate as they near or reach the expiration of their maximum forbearance term. And just to give you an idea of how long this has been going on, this drop. Obviously, it's been going on for the last 52 weeks, looking at last year. But this stat is just awesome. 
28 of the last 29 weeks, we have seen loans in forbearance fall week to week. I wish I could say it was full 29, but we had that one week where it didn't increase, but it didn't drop. It was it was unchanged. And so that messed up the streak. But I'll take 28 out of 29 weeks. Not bad. So, yeah, good show. All great news. Well, except for the stock market. That's that's not so good. But everything else is good. We are good to go. I hope you guys have a great Tuesday. And I will see you back here Wednesday morning for another edition of Markets and Mortgages. I'm Tyler Crawley. And remember... Do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait.